brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Columbus and Central Ohio have a rich history of companies being headquartered here. Everything from technology, manufacturing, retail, insurance, and more. But what about the leaders behind these companies? What makes them tick? How did they get their start? This is where you get to meet the captain of the ship. Welcome to CEOs You Should Know, an iHeartMedia Columbus podcast. Welcome back to another edition and episode of CEOs You Should Know, an iHeartMedia Columbus podcast. I'm your host, Boxer. Uh, This week, our guest oversees a company since 1971, providing warehousing, distribution, and transportation solutions for hundreds of different brands. John R. Ness, who's the CEO majority shareholder of ODW Logistics and Affiliates. And John, welcome to CEOs You Should Know. Thank you, Boxer. Really excited to be here. Rumor has it you're only eight uh, minutes away from here. You live in UA, uh, is that I right? Do. I do. I, I drive by uh, the studio every day on my way to work and listen to your, uh, your morning show well, and find it to be uh, uplifting. And, uh, wow. Uh, you know, I guess a part of my morning routine. So well, thanks I, for the work I you do every morning. That. You get up probably a little earlier than I do. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> no one should have to get up at 2.30. <laughs> hey, by the way, the door is always open if you just want to come hang out. Okay, I know well, you're, that's, you know, that's good. Well, if I ever hear something that either, you know, prompts my attention or or I disagree, I might just come knocking go. on the door and say, hey, Box, I got an opinion. Can I come in? Th- that would make for great radio. <laughs> that would be awesome. Well, look, one thing I like to do, John, before we get started with your journey and, uh, of course, uh, ODW Logistics, is to just find out a little bit about you and and to your mind as a CEO. So first thing you do when you wake up in the morning. Uh, you know, typically I have a quiet time or I work out. So uh, right. my face is a big part of my life. And so I kind of find uh, getting right with God before I get a good deal with the day is really uh, valuable for me. Um, and then I got to, because I'm 48 now, I have to go um, get my body mo- motion, get mo- motion is lotion. Isn't that what they <laughs> say? Right. So I'm down like I was doing this morning, doing some sort of exercise in the basement. And, uh, and then I kind of clean up and get after it. So, um, do you have a you favorite know, exercise, John? <laughs> favorite exercise. I uh, I have a lot that I curse at, but I'm really glad that I'm <laughs> I did them later. So lunges are probably the one that oh, I'm like, lunges. oh, I got to do my lunges. Oh, but man. and on the way to work, I'm normally like, yeah, I'm glad I did them. But you know, when you're thinking it, you know, I get up about I don't know five forty five each morning, and I'm thinking I got to go do my exercises. That's yeah. not my favorite one <laughs> at, at that point. What would your employees say about you? Oh, what gosh. do you think they say about you? You know, that's a great question. Um, what they, what I think they say is, uh, I hope they say I'm a caring driven leader, I guess would be the three words that kind of come to mind. Uh, I do care deeply about our team. Um, I'll refer to them as our associates, our teammates, our employees occasionally, but, um, I do think of us as a, as a team and, and I care a lot about what, uh, what their life is like and what kind of experience they're having in our organization. Um, but I care deeply about their their, their lives, right? It's not all about work. Um, we, we have to work hard um, and we have to make a living. But if you can do it in an environment where people you know, care about your well-being and want yeah. to make it kind of enjoyable, kind of like the atmosphere I've, I kind of get a sense for here, uh, so much the better. But I also, 
would hope that our people would say that, you know, John pushes me uh, to deliver their my very best. Yeah. Uh, my expectations are high. Um, I like to uh, to celebrate when we win and have fun and, and be engaging. But I also can flip a switch. Uh, that might not be easy to see sometimes for people when I'm not hearing or seeing what we need to do as a company to take care of our customers. And so, yeah. John, John, do you have, um, is there a pet peeve or what, what's something that as a CEO sets you off? Uh, yeah, meetings uh, that are, uh, and we don't do very many of these very many more or very, anymore, but meetings that are not um, necessary, um, people that are afraid to speak up, okay, um, which is part the responsibility of the leadership to provide a format where people can speak. But I hate this scenario. Maybe you've ever heard this, you know, when somebody would leave the room and say, gosh, I can't believe we were talking about this. What I, what they don't really know or what, what I really wanted to say was this. And then they finished their sentence with some sort of complaint or some more painfully, some keen insight that didn't get presented at the table when we were all um, trying to deal with the issue. And so, um, man, that drives me crazy. In, in other words, you would rather have them just, just say it, right. say what's on your mind. Right. That's right. Don't, don't be afraid. Yeah. Patrick Lencioni is one of the, I've got a few um, business consultants and authors that I've read and listened to over the years. And he talks about, you know, creating an environment where people um, in a trusting way can, can speak openly and candidly. And, um, and so we try to do that when it doesn't happen. I'm really frustrated because the best way to move our organization forward is to get the you know, thoughts and ideas from everyone in the room. And uh, I get really frustrated when people leave and they didn't, Sure. So they weren't candid. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's one. I've got a lot of other little pet peeves too, but that's do you have, um, because obviously, you know, work, especially being the CEO, I can't imagine what your day's like. I'll ask you that in just a sec, sure. but what, do, what's an escape for you? How do you um, get away from it all? It's normally, uh, floating on the water. And, um, so I love to travel and get to, um, whether it's up at Lake Erie where we go regularly, we've got a lake house, um, not too far from here or down south where the weather is beautiful and the water is clear. Uh, those are spots that rejuvenate and yeah. kind of re-energize. So that's, are, uh, that's an important part of my life. John, I know you probably read a lot. Are you a book reader at all? Novel guy? Is there... um, you know, I just tried to plow through two James Patterson novels uh, over <laughs> spring break, and they were okay. No, no disrespect <laughs> to the number one published author, I guess, in, right. the, in America. But um I probably read a few better books I like better. So occasionally, my wife is funny. She'll tell me, John, you shouldn't read that, like, work on the business book. You just need to read a novel just to unwind. And she's probably right, on, like she is on a lot of things. <laughs> well, John Ness is with us. He's this week's guest on CEOs You Should Know and iHeartMedia Columbus podcast, CEO of ODW Logistics. For those listening going, uh, okay, well, what is ODW Logistics? What What do you do? Yeah, so great question. Uh, ODW is a 3PL or third-party logistics business, uh, which is um, a growing industry nationwide, now internationally. Um, we manage supply chains on behalf of our clients. So other cus our customers make and produce products that you buy in store shelves around the country. Our work is to manage their inventories, distribute, pick, pack, and ship, and transport those goods to market. So we are a kind of behind-the-scenes business services uh, company that really does a lot of work on contracts that our customers give to us 
to manage their inventory. So and we do that through 25 facilities around the country. Uh, and then get goods to market. That's an easy way to think about it. And most people, um, we like to say when our supply chain is running well, we're the, we're the engine humming in the background for a, a well-run company. Uh, it's kind of the place where inventory turns to cash, which is important for a lot of these companies. So if you think about a consumer products company that's selling products into Walmart or Amazon or wherever, um, they've invested in the product, they've manufactured it, and they've inventoried it, and, and then they ultimately sell at the store shelf. And uh, we're a company that kind of makes all that happen behind the scenes, which is great when everything's running well, okay? When it's not, like in today's environment where people are like, where's my stuff? And how come Christmas, my Christmas goods didn't get here? And how come it's sitting on an ocean container out at sea and not getting unloaded? Then that machine that's running in the background is a little clunky and people take notice and are kind of really concerned or interested. And um, it's a complex thing that we do, but most people don't think about it kind of go to the stores or uh, expect people to, you know, goods to arrive. Right. Or now it's like at my doorstep. Like, why didn't my Uber driver deliver my you know, convenience store item or my food on time? And it's a big complex world that, um, that we have enjoyed uh, making a run at and, and having a lot of fun and, um, and having some success with. Yeah. Well, John, we should just jump right into that with the supply chain factor I think when you know we're in a world now where it's instant gratification, whether it's on demand videos or speaking supply talk for a second, we get things from Amazon or Target, Walmart, wherever, uh, same day service sometimes. So with this supply chain issue, you might be probably one of the best guests we've ever had <laughs> just to ask you, what in the world happened? And was it a number of factors? Yes, great question. Yeah, the supply chains have been really stressed and challenged. And, um, you know, there are three high-level things that I think have really challenged the um, the marketplace, if, if you will. Um, we, we've had this enormous shift to e-commerce, which has been happening for decades in reality. But during the pandemic, you know, people didn't want to go out. They were, In fact, we were told not to go out. We were told to, or if you did, you had to wear a mask and you had to be really cautious and don't touch anything and don't talk to anybody, you know, and so... So day-to-day -day kind of convenience like shopping was really challenged. And so what did everybody do? Right? Well, you pull out your iPhone and you yep. can have anything in the world delivered to your house on your iPhone, <laughs> right. right? That's the way the world is today. So um, so that put a tremendous amount of demand and stress. Um, and then the same thing, the same time, because of the pandemic, um, factories all over the world were shutting down or yeah. they were reducing production, you know, by half or more uh, to maintain social distancing and to try to, and then workers weren't coming in because they were dealing with pandemic issues. So the production, and, and I'm talking about, you know, we see this probably in you know, the automotive industry where there are trucks that are being manufactured that can't leave the lot because they're waiting on a microchip. Or Chip, a CD, yeah. right? I mean, so we see that and that gets a lot of news media, but that's happening in all kinds of industries. And so the fact that there's, you know, production parts that are, you know, there's a lot of half made or what we'll call work in process kind of products all over the world that just aren't finished. So demand, so demand's up, supplies down. And then demand went even higher actually when kind of the demand for market as the economy kind of people pulled back a little bit early in the economy. And then we had, we pushed so much money into the, into the marketplace from government, government subsidies, et cetera. A lot of people had a lot of money in their pocket. And so consumption yeah. went up and quite frankly, people weren't going on travel destinations or whatever. So, but they still had money walking around in their pocket. And so they were buying more items, you know, and so these shifts kind of put 
a tremendous amount of stress in the supply chain. So, how far out are we from things leveling off? I don't know if that's the best. Yeah, no, it's way funny. To put it, but um, so I gave a, a, a <laughs> I shared a message with one of my service club groups that I'm a part of um, at UA Rotary a couple weeks ago, and I said, "Good news, Christmas of 2021 is here." It's finally arrived, right? It's just three months late. But those goods that you've been waiting for or items that you were um, hoping would make it in time um, finally got unloaded um, from the ocean containers that were at port. So we were as high as 90 or so ships that were on the West Coast waiting to get unloaded. We're down in the, in the upper 30s right now, which is you know real progress when you do the math each ship. 12 to 14,000 containers. Every one of those containers has got, you know, 2,500 to 3,500 consumer products on it, but and a whole lot of other stuff too. Not, but yeah. we, we think about the things that you know, we want to buy at the store shelf. Um, and so just some real improvement there is allowing things to flow again. But what we have now is rising fuel costs. And so with, right. with oil where it is um, and the price at the pump, we're seeing new pressures and new challenges that are creating um, perhaps a better flow of goods, but costs are skyrocketing. Sure. John, and by the way, John uh, Ness is with us. He's the CEO of ODW Logistics. Just to have a better understanding and my vision of, of what you're doing behind the scenes, mm-hmm. you're you're coordinating a bunch of different things happening. I, I, I'm assuming, are you talking to uh, the cargo ships and the, the truck transportation? Yeah. You're yeah. coordinating all of yeah. that. Yeah. So, wow. you know, the word logistics is this kind of new buzzword, right? In fact, my teenage daughters will talk about the logistics of, you know, like a social Saturday night, right? Because <laughs> it's about pick, who's picking up who. And that was a term that wasn't even really used uh, anymore. But that's really what we do. We do coordinate a lot of information and kind of get organized around, um, you know, largely around a series of shipments that need to make it through a supply chain. And they move from link to link or company that's responsible for them, like, overseas manufacturing or even domestic manufacturing and transport uh, to warehouses um, and and sometimes to multiple warehouses or to, you know, other um, production facilities that add more value to those products until they ultimately get to, uh, to the place where we consume them. Um, And it's uh, the supply chain is more than just a consumer um, package industry, but that's kind of what most people think about is when I'm headed to a store and I need stuff to, you know, fill my, either my, cupboards at home or my sure. cabinets in the bathroom or whatever. So, John, when all this is going on, I would have to imagine you had to still answer to your clients. Oh, so, of course. And, yeah. and what do you say to them? Yeah, so um, we talk a lot about planning. Uh, we talk about, you know, there's kind of an immediate response. When we're in chase mode where we're, we're, we're behind on getting products unloaded or products delivered, uh, we're ramping up staff and resources, and we've got an army of team and people that are really great at responding. And, um, and then, you know, to solve sy- systemically how to really deal with these things, it's really about planning. It's being thoughtful and building contingencies into, you know, th- and this is a big complex topic that probably has – more time than we, we have, or probably takes more time than we have. But um, there are a few strategies that we really try to encourage. So planning is critical. Investing in technology is really important. So more and more today, you know, we can see where our stuff is anytime, uh, anywhere. Um, so just like we track our kids with our, you know, our, our, um, 
are apps and where they are with their phones, we can track goods the same way. And so that's Do really you do important. that with your kids, by the way? Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> got three teenage daughters. <laughs> well, then yeah, there yeah, you yeah, go. Yeah, of course. So <laughs> I highly recommend it. So yeah, we could talk about parenting too. That's a lot of fun. But you want to trust that things are moving the way they need to. Sure. But in the event you need to go find out what's going on with this particular shipment or a customer's got a concern, then you've got to have the tools to go and and really kind of track things down. So our business is about helping companies do that. So some companies have choices on who they, you know, how they manage supply chains. And we like the ones that decide to outsource it to companies like us and hire us uh, to, to run these supply um, supply chains for them. And then we assemble, you know, best in class technology. And we have this army of people that are just awesome. And that's really one of the things maybe we could talk a little bit about is yeah, our, let's, our team. Because yeah. you're based here in Columbus, but do you have people from all over the world that you're, um, you're talking all to? All over the country. All over the country. Yeah, country. Yeah. Okay. We, we employ people in, uh, I think, about seven states now, eight states and growing. We have uh, 25 uh, warehouse facilities, several offices, um, and then uh, a Several, we have a, a trucking company as well. It's really important to us. Oh, yeah. That, you know, so we actually deliver goods uh, on our own equipment with our own great drivers. Um, and, you know, that's where um, we differentiate ourselves because of the culture that we have um, and the commitment and the promises that we can make to our customers. Our, our, we're great promise keepers. We really work hard to, to do what we tell our customers we're going to do, and that we think is in line with our values. We talk a lot about our culture and our values at our company. And uh, so we have, um, we're approaching 2,000 people. We're about 1,600, 1,800 people. Kind of it moves up and down depending on seasonality. But we're growing uh, that work for the company in lots of different facilities. And um, these folks get up every day, and their job is to really m- make sure that our customers get what they want, yeah. where they want it, when they need it. And, um, and so it's, um, it's, it's, it's inspiring work. We think it's yeah. really critical to um, – we talk about it being the backbone of the country in terms of commerce. Um, and uh, in fact, we'll talk uh, about our creed that we um, yeah, that, that kind of define. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to also get to, um, you know, you just celebrated 50 years last yes. year. And, yeah. and John, something I was curious about as we, you know, go from talking about logistics and, and uh, you know, different ways that people are getting their products, these companies that you help out with, are we seeing a possible shift? I realize we're a global economy, mm-hmm. and we have some products that are just commodities. We, you know, th- you think of oil, for example. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious. Do you think American businesses, maybe others too, have learned a lesson in where they're doing business or where they're? Let's take chips, for example. Yeah. There, there's a lot of chips being made. The majority of them in Taiwan. In the 90s, the United States made, I think, between 70 and 80 percent. Now it's uh, it's it's less than twenty percent, maybe right. even way less right. than that. Yeah. I guess my question to you is: is a guy who deals with logistics and a company who helps so many other big name companies, do you see these companies bringing back, maybe mm-hmm. learning a lesson here, and bringing back some of that? Yeah, yeah. So the reshoring is what we what the industry would refer to as the um, shift in production and manufacturing back into the United States, and and we absolutely are, um, and and maybe not always directly into the United States, but to North America. Uh, so many, as you described, Boxer, many of our goods were made in Asia uh, over the last, you know, that was the trend for 30 years. And, yeah. And I think, so supply, and it, largely because we manufacturers are chasing lower labor costs. Of course. And production yeah. was was, um, was lower cost in, in other markets. And and when you add the complexity of getting goods back to the United States where, States where consumption is, it definitely has 
Um, it's, it's added complexity, which has added cost. Um, it's added the need for more um, and higher inventory levels. So you've yeah. got more safety stock so that you don't run out of goods. And, um, and now I think because of, you know, concerns, geopolitical concerns that we've got around the country, I think more and more companies are looking at uh, U.S.-based companies are bringing manufacturing back or foreign companies are, are willing and in, yeah. in investing in, in manufacturing in the United States. And, you know, Ohio has been a, a, done a great job of, of, of being a, a place where um, we can be easy to do business with. And um, we have long um, benefited and, and touted the value of our, our reach. And so we're well located. Uh, so one of the stats that gets uh, promoted the most for our industry, and this applies to manufacturing as well, that you can get to half the U.S. population overnight, uh, one truckload or 10-hour right. 10 truckload yeah. uh, uh, drive away from almost half the U.S. population, which is um, when you when you make a strategic decision about where to build a plant or where to put your inventory, um, you want to think about cost and service, right, because time is money. And so the, the, the closer I can get to – where the, my products will be consumed, yeah. it costs me less to to ship them there, and I can get them there faster because there's less time to travel. So it's interesting, John. That's something Mr. Wexner used to say uh, when he was asked uh, one time in an interview, um, "Hey, you you could have gone to New York or LA, but you chose Columbus to have the distribution and everything." And He's like, and, and he rattled off the same stats. He does, yeah. He's like, you'd be amazed at where you can get in a day or, you know, population-wise. Yeah, you know? and that's a, it's a good example. It's a longtime customer of ours that, okay. that we have grown as they have uh, invested and continue to invest in, in this region. Um, and many other companies have as well. So, you know, it's interesting. Um, a lot of our customers will do what they call center of gravity studies. So if you think about the U.S. on kind of a, a – I could describe this maybe a two-dimensional way. And if you put an equal weighting to every person that uh, lived on the planet and you had nothing underneath in, in the United States and you had to put a, a, like a, a focal point or a balance point on the United States, if you looked at it from a landmass standpoint, you'd probably put that in what, maybe Kansas or something, uh, right, right? Right in the right. middle of the country, right? Well, if you, if you weighted the uh, population by people, you really are shifting further east, right? And so if you want to balance the country – uh, you're really in the, the heartland of Ohio, the Ohio Valley region. And so that's a place where between the people that are on the West Coast and on the East Coast. And so the same kind of con, kind of applies to distribution, right? Because yeah. I want to put it in the place where I can get most of uh, my product to market. So, John, that's a great way, I think, what you just described. Great way to visualize it. Mm -hmm. I, I like that. John Ness is with us, by the way, CEO of ODW Logistics. Last year, you celebrated your 50th anniversary. And by the way, you... You grew up in is this is a family company, that's, right? That's correct. We're right. owned by uh, the, the Ness family, um, and yeah, that's a that's probably one of my favorite stories. So, Boxer, I grew up. Uh, my dad and a partner started the company in 1971. They uh, were in the industry, but working for a different company they didn't own, and the ownership changed uh, of that business. That the, the former owner was a mentor of my father, taught him the, the business. And when he left, new owners came in and the values changed and they didn't want to kind of operate the same way that my dad and his partner believed was the right way to run the company. So they both went and borrowed $5,000 from the local, um, local bank and, and started Ohio Distribution Warehouse Corp. Uh, I give them lots of high marks for doing a number of amazing things. Uh, creativity around names of companies, maybe a little less so. Ohio yeah. Distribution Warehouse was very literal in what we were doing. So 
that got shortened to ODW uh, <laughs> later, and that's, that's that was a mouthful. So ODW yeah. is still a little bit uh, doesn't roll, roll off the tongue necessarily, but it's uh, it's it's a really part of our important part of our legacy. So yeah. So 25 years later, um, they had had good success and grown mostly in in Ohio, and my dad's partner retired. We we executed a, a buy sell agreement, bought him out, and he wanted to retire and. And, uh, and that's when we became a family owned business. And, um, and at that's about six months later I started. So I grew up you know, working in the warehouse, yeah. and, you know, summer jobs and, um, and, and really always was interested in what we do. And, um, where did you grow up, John? So I grew up here in, in Upper Arlington, oh, Columbus. So you, yeah. You, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in Columbus kind of, um, born and bred and, uh, like a lot of folks in Arlington, I didn't venture very far. I went off to college and came back and, <laughs> And, uh, where, where did you go to college? I went to Wittenberg University Wittenberg, okay. yeah, over yeah. in Springfield. You had to get out a little bit. You yeah, not very out. far. I know. I, 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 you know, I was dating this girl at the time, and she was going to Miami, and um, and uh, she wound up being my wife. And uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was a big part of it. So um, when we graduated, I studied business and played football, and then came back uh, after four years and kind of went. You know, when I let me tell you this story, Boxer. Yeah, yeah, so when I was yeah. when I was eighteen years old, when you're in a family business, you have I guess these potentially these kind of opportunities. When I was 18 years old, I was um, about this time of the year. I think it was about April when I figured out where I was going to go to college. I knew I was going to study business. I wanted to play football. When I, I when I graduated, I wanted to come back into the family business. That meant I was going to come back to Columbus, which meant I probably was going to come back into the same community I grew up in because I loved it and I knew who I wanted to marry. And I really felt blessed by it. Um, a lot of kids today, no problem with this. You know, trying to figure it out, right? You know, of at 18, 19, 20, 22, yeah. 25 years old, don't know where you're going. And my life was kind of like, this is what I wanted to do. And it was a really um, inspiring um, kind of opportunity for my dad. For me, my dad had laid out, you know, a, a, a company and a, um, a lifestyle, I guess, that resonated well with me and yeah. felt like it was a match with, with my gifts. And um, so I was happy to do it. And, and then I spent seven years learning the business. Um, I was fortunate enough to become president at a way too um, young of age. I was 29 years old. And <laughs> Wait, you were 29 and when you became the president. I was. And what, was yeah. there a feeling internally? I don't know if you'd ever admit this. But Fear. Were, <laughs> what, were, you, were you afraid? Did you ever look in the mirror and go, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for this, but I, I don't have a choice. Here we go. Uh, great question. I was motivated or I was anxious about certain things. I was much more motivated by the desire to make my own mark. I didn't want to be a caretaker of my dad's business. I, I was grateful for the opportunity. Yeah. He did an amazing job of creating this opportunity for this company. And, and then he got out of the way. He did a great job of saying, it's John's time. I've picked him. Um, he had a choice in that. And, and, uh, and I was honored to have the opportunity. And then I kind of was just driven by the expectation that I wanted to, you know, make him proud and, yeah and, and make our, team proud of what we, you know, that they could feel good that I wasn't going to be like a statistic, like a lot of family businesses are where, you know, sure. like, you know, it's common between generation one and generation two, 50% of companies fail and G2 to G3, only a third make it. And it kind of, it's, a, it's those are scary kinda, stats, they are. by the way. Yeah, they are. I, At least for now, we've navigated that change and that transition. It's been great. And, um, and part, we're, we've got more to do. Would, you know, did, did you feel at times when, with your dad, I, I feel like a lot of guys are like this. I know I was like this. You, you, you wanted, you wanted to impress your dad or make him proud, especially when you took over. Did you have that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
and I, you know, he's he's been wonderful about telling me um, how proud he is of me. So I'm grateful for that too. Yeah. Um, so we still talk once a week. Dad's 80. He, he had a big milestone. So last year was a big year. He turned 80. The company turned 50. Yeah. I hit my 25th year. Um, so I kind of worked out on, on a couple of those kind of milestone events, and it's been a lot of fun. So we're grateful for where we are, and we use that. Um, those milestones to celebrate a couple of things. So I, I maybe want to share a couple of things yeah, that were kind yeah. of cool. So um, we, when you hit a 50 year mark, you know, it's like, okay, there's some people that are like, you know, great. I've been here for a couple of years. So I really don't, I mean, I appreciate the company has been around a long time, but I'm much more interested in about like my future. <laughs> so we kind of took our, our focus and said, how do we invest in our future and make sure that we've got another 50 years in the future and uh, so we re- did some really good work uh, with the help of our entire organization on refreshing our mission, vision, values, and creed, and being really clear about articulating why we do what we do and why it matters and what the opportunity is for the people that work for us. That was pretty cool. And then tangibly, we, we uh, created a, um, a scholarship fund for our associates uh, named in honor of, of Robert and Lynn Ness, my parents. Um, so there's a, an annual opportunity for a pretty significant uh, scholarship for uh, uh, higher education uh, for specifically for the dependents of our team members. Yeah. That was cool. And then we, we did, like we always do, and we continue to impact, uh, make an impact in the world around us, our community. Um, so we've got a foundation and a, um, an associate fund that's a, a really important part of, of what we do, and I can talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I know, I know you're very big in the community, and you talked about the scholarships. Uh, mm-hmm. Are there other community things, specifics that you're involved in? Yeah. Companies? Um, well, so we, like a lot of great organizations, I've been inspired by other leaders in this town, and you mentioned Mr. Wexner earlier. He's obviously one of our great philanthropists. Um, there are many others that have done a wonderful job. Our community is better because of business leaders and um, other community leaders. Leaders, um, that have given back to Columbus to make it great. Um, and I, I've, I've been inspired by that. So our, our, our ODWNS Family Foundation uh, supports Junior Achievement, American Heart Association, uh, LSS, and a number of other organizations that are kind of focused on health and wellness and education uh, for the community. Um, so that's the money we give away. And then we have our Reach Out Rangers, which is our volunteer army that goes and does a bunch of work. You know, so how I love have, that. How Reach have, Out Rangers. Yeah, the Rangers. Yeah, we've got range as our tagline. And so Rangers are um, kind of a, a term we have fun with. You know, how often, Boxer, have you thought about, gosh, I just need to get a, a lot of these goods from here to there. And so when you have trucks in our industry, we do a <laughs> lot of like moving products around, whether it's Pelotonia that we support or there's a really neat organization in town called Bed Brigade that um, churches give time. Yeah, I've heard of that one too. And they they make frames, bed frames, and we go and collect mattresses and and the frames, and we do deliveries um, to kids mostly that don't have beds to sleep on night. And it's it's a really neat organization, small but really important. And, you know, we're moving products around for the Mid-Ohio Food Collective and Community Development for All People and all kinds of other organizations. Yeah. Just – our, and our drivers love doing it. They're doing, you know, they're working hard every day, and then we give them a chance to do something like that where their their delivery matters a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, it's nice yeah. to have a customer satisfied, but if you can make a difference in a, in a, you know, in a in a in a person's life because you brought a, you know, some goodwill or 
delivered toys for tots or all these kind of stuff. Oh, so that's that's great. Cool. Yeah, that's yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah, John, I don't have a CDL, but if I, I'm a I'm a grunt. So if if you need help with some of okay. this, you know, that, that's deliver. awesome, Boxer. We need we need help of all types. I can assure you. So, and we would not put you behind the wheel. So we we, we, we care about the citizens in our community too much to put somebody that's on the road. Yeah. Well, John, look, uh, boy, this has been enlightening. Um, just a couple more things as we yeah. start to wrap up. You mentioned early on in our conversation about uh, your your faith. And as a guy who's at the head of it all, I've always been fascinated by, you know, how you lead, how you roll with things every day as a yeah. CEO. You know, certainly people are looking up to you. Some people would assume you have all the answers. But but how how do you, you know, go through your life every day and and being a man of faith? How, how do you use that in your daily routine? Yeah. Thanks for that question, Boxer. Um, well, I think it's it's grounded. I mean, I think it, it keeps me grounded, right? So there's a sense of lots of elements that come from kind of my, my my faith. So when you don't have the answers, so you asked, you made that comment. You know, what do you do when everybody wants to have clarity? I mean, a lot of what we're doing is predicting, you know, what we think is going to happen in the future, and who knows, right? So, um, so I think that helps. Uh, my faith helps kind of keep a perspective and saying it's going to be okay. Let's not get so fixated on and fearful about the future that. Um, you sweat um, all the problems and you don't think about, you know, how you're going to find a, a safe landing uh, because it's more than just what we do. You know, um, we think as guys in particular, um, I think everybody probably does this, but, but I know I have struggled in my life um, that, that identity issue. It's like, you know, um, who we are is defined by what we do. Of and, course. Yes. Um, and that, if that, that's important and that's, there's ego in that and all these other things, but I think it's when we have confidence and, um, Whose we are, I guess, if you will, um, that 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 you find um, a little less of your um, identity tied up in what we do, and more of who we are, I guess, as um, as people. Um, and then probably more pragmatically, um, lots of decisions around how to treat people, on what the right thing to do with the with our customers, um, with our associates, and so I think of faith practice. So we talk a little bit about you know tangibly. Uh, we haven't talked about our values too much yet, but just a couple of things. We have four values, respect, trust, team, and opportunity. And so, in, in for example, you know, how do you build respect? Well, it starts with treating other people as you want to be treated, right? Um, we're um, not always in control of the events that happen to them, but we are in control of our response. And, um, and you know, we... We act with integrity and humility and fairness. We build respect with one another, and those are the words we use to describe that value. And when we have respect, we can build trust, right? And so trust is doing what you say you'll do, uh, which is a matter of integrity and being clear, direct, and honest with people. Um, and I think in the world today, one of the other things we talk about is both seeking to understand and be understood. We spend a lot of time talking about I want you to understand my point, right? And I have this emphatic <laughs> message that I, you need to hear because I'm right and all this stuff. Right, and, right. It turns people off. But if you start with it, like, let me understand your point of view, much like you've done in our session today. Um, and having a little bit of curiosity about where the world is, I think we will fight less and be a little bit um, less focused on ourselves. That's refreshing, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it really is a little bit more of that. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, and then the, the team value, we, we talk, when you have, respect and trust, you can be a great team. And we talked yeah. a little bit about team earlier. And so we believe, you know, a team has a common goal that's bigger than my own personal goal. 
So for us, we talk as a company about collective growth. We're a growth-oriented business. Um, that's really important. Um, but we also believe that um, teams want everybody to be successful. It's not a, a me first. It's a we've got to do this together. Um, and then teams in our industry, for sure, and most uh, work, you know, they get the best result when they work together as a team. Yeah. So, John, where is ODW headed? Where, what's the future look like? Yeah, it's big and bright, Boxer. We're excited about our future. We think the industry is still really strong. So the supply chain, because it's complex in the world today, uh, is going to continue to create opportunities. Um, I, we think that the demand for our services is growing. We see it. We know it's growing. So growth is a big part of it. So we talk about collective growth. growth but we also talk about our vision is to reach our highest potential. And we're not really sure what that is. I mean, our potential is always ahead of us and always something that we're, we're focused on in the future. Um, I'm really excited practically about um, the, the way our, um, our leadership team and our company's running the business and we're scaling up and investing in all kinds of things that are just helping us get better. So we always, you know, we're efficiency freaks, right? <laughs> we think about, you know, the box moving through the warehouse as efficiently as it can. It's getting to destination. So we're always thinking about, you know, where's the waste and how do we lean out the yeah. supply chain? That's really important. Um, and then, you know, personally, I've got um, four kids and my son is um, in, in college studying business and finance and has expressed some interest in the business in the future. Yes. So I was uh, just going to ask, are, yeah. they, are the kids interested? Yeah, in yeah my, my uh, so I have four, um, one son and three girls. And uh, my son's um, a, a junior at Boston College playing football and studying finance. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's doing really great. And he has clearly expressed interest. Uh, my oldest daughter is, is really wants, and I think this is even more admirable, she wants to be a middle school math teacher. Wow. And uh, so she's over at Wittenberg at my alma mater studying uh, education and is going to do great. And then my two younger girls are still at home. They're a freshman and, and an eighth grader. And, um, you know, I haven't, I'm not sure what's going to happen there. I had a dinner with them after we dropped our son off to college. And I said, do you guys have anybody and have any interest in doing what dad does? Do you like this? And they all looked at me like I had three heads and <laughs> no way. Thanks, dad. So we love you, but you know, that's probably not for me. So I, who knows? So at least I've got one of four that have at this stage in their life expressed real I, interest. So I, you know, John, I can relate with my children. Uh, I've got a six month old, but a nine and a six year old. Uh, and, and they both have like, you, you interested in broadcasting? And they're like, uh, unless you're doing YouTube, no, we have no idea. <laughs> I'm like, oh, all right, I'm yeah. chopped liver. Yeah, <laughs> no worries. Yeah. Well, look, this has been so awesome. John, if uh, if someone's listening and they're like, wow, I'd like to find out if they're hiring or I'd like to find out more about ODW Logistics, where can they go? Yeah, they can go to uh, www, if that's still used. Uh, they can go to odwlogistics.com. And, uh -huh. and Boxer, I want to read this. Let yeah, me read this, sure, this sure. last kind of a closing. This is the yeah. ODW creed that we, that we created that I think is a message that hopefully is inspiring. So we are the backbone of this country, ensuring goods get delivered when and where they are needed most. This is a job worth showing up for day in and day out. United by the tasks that drive us, we are a team, each one of us representing a single link in a chain, dependent on the link before and the link after for strength. When the rubber meets the road, be it the sole of our shoes or the tread of our tires, we rise to the challenge. We honor the journey. Detours may happen, but they allow us to chart new territory and new growth as companies and as professionals. Customers, managers, and peers deserve our best effort, and they deserve our respect. Always give, and it will be given to you. At ODW, we always deliver the difference.
That's inspired. That's patriotic. That yeah. screams red, white, and blue. Isn't that right awesome? There. That oh is my awesome. Gosh. So I've, thanks for sharing yeah, that. Yeah. So um, thank you for the opportunity here. Yeah. If people want to know more, odwlogistics.com. Um, we're we're uh, we're excited about the future, and we're grateful for uh, the opportunity to be here today. John Ness, CEO of ODW Logistics, this week's guest on CEOs You Should Know. Thanks for your time and coming in. Thanks, Boxer. CEOs You Should Know is hosted and produced by Brandon Boxer, a production of iHeartMedia Columbus.